Uh, that worship was beautiful. Thank you so much. I um, It's so fun for me to come on Thursdays because I'm usually at work. And when I come, I get to see so many of you that I normally don't get to see. So it's pretty exciting. Um, I have to say that I had so much fun putting this message together for us. Um, sometimes it can be really daunting to try to, to do, you know, to teach, but I had so much fun and I have little hummingbirds and butterflies and shoes and gift packages and everything all over my notes. But at the same time, it was really hard because Romans 12 is so packed with treasure that we could probably spend a night, a day, a week, a year on each verse, but that, that's not going to happen. So this morning we're going to be taking a bird's eye view of this chapter, but I highly recommend that you study this chapter for many years to come because it, it, it'll take that long to pull out all the treasure that is in this one chapter. So I have a couple questions for you. Um, how many of you have books lining your library at home or even a digital library on your phone that have to do with the content of relationships? Okay. How many of you have ever heard of a show called How Things Work? Okay. So my last question is, how many of you women are women who have to know how things work? Okay, I'm raising my hand for all three. Uh, we want our relationships to be the best they can, and we want to know how they work. So I am intrigued at the process of how things work. And it doesn't matter if it's an ingredient in a food or if it's how my brain works or if it's how a computer works. I desire to know how it works. But of course, I don't always completely understand how things work. But I do desire to know. And because I like to know how things work, um, well, first of all, let me back up. I've named our study this morning transformed, and this will be transformed in just a moment, and because I like to know how things work, I tried learning, there's our PowerPoint, I tried learning how to do a PowerPoint that was presentable, but because I'm not very creative and I don't have the brain capacity um, and I didn't have the brain capacity to make this happen, so I recruited a 10-year-old girl, <laughs> my little friend, Anna Lee, who is 10, who designed our beautiful transformed graphic. And we got to do some relationship building while we were trying to do this thing, and I finally just threw up my hands and said, I'm going home, and this is what she came up with. So we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, so as I read Romans 12 over and over, this light bulb went off in my head, and this entire chapter is about relationships, it's about, first of all, our relationship with God. 
our relationship with the world, with ourselves, believe it or not, with one another, and even our relationship with our enemies. God did not leave one relationship out of this chapter. And then I realized God's showing us how things work. So I thought this PowerPoint would show us beautifully how this transformation process works and the stages of it. And ladies, it is a lifelong process. And guess what? It is all for relationship. So let's pray before we get into Romans 12. Lord, we just come before you just asking that your spirit would minister to us through your word and that we would leave here transformed, like Yvonne said, just a little bit, just one thing that you know you want to change in us for our good and for your glory. So we're asking just for more and more of you this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have, um, well, okay, let me back up. I want to go back to chapter 11 for a moment before I begin reading Romans 12. And Debbie when she spoke on chapter 11, she gave us this beautiful picture of the Jew and the Gentile being a family unit. So we have that picture of the Jew and Gentile. And then starting in verse 1133, Paul is speaking again about the Jew and the Gentile being the recipient of God's mercy. And he says, starting in verse 1133, and I'm going to be reading today out of the Amplified Version. Um, Verse 1133 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and decisions and how unfathomable and untraceable his ways. Verse 34 For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him all things originate, and through him all things live and exist, and to him are all things directed. To him be glory and honor forever. Amen. And then starts Roman 12. And there's that word, therefore, looking back. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is 
good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So I want to park here for just a moment, and I just want to say, wow, that is intense, what was just written by Paul. God's mercies are the basis, the foundation of all living that is really holy or set apart, completely devoted to God. And Paul is telling us to present our bodies as an act of worship because of his mercy towards us. Lamentations 3.23 tells us that his mercies are new Every single morning. Amen. Yes. And this means to make a conscious, willing decision to dedicate our hearts and our minds, our soul, our body to God. Our decision is to be one of will, intelligence, and love toward God because of what he's done for us. We're a whole being, and God's desire is that we would give all of ourselves to him, from our head to our toes, our inside and our outside, all of ourselves. This is our reasonable act of worship toward our God who gave everything for us. So in the beginning of Romans 12 are these two contrasting relationships that God is talking about. Our relationship with the world versus our relationship with God. And before we came to Christ, all of us were conformed to the world, weren't we? And unfortunately, we can And we will continue to be if we allow ourselves to be influenced by it. Messages from this world are constantly being received by our brains and interpreted by our minds. So we can one minute be influenced by being at church, and the next minute we can be influenced by the world. What I mean is we can have one mindset while we're at church, But the moment we re-enter the world, that mindset changes. And when it comes to ungodly aspects of our culture, we can be easily influenced by several things. We can be influenced by peer pressure, by what our culture values. We can be influenced by traditions. Maybe it's something that we learned growing up. We can be influenced by what's in or what's cool. We can be influenced by worldly philosophies, by wrong attitudes that come from our flesh. And all of these worldview assumptions of our day, they can and they do stand completely contrary to our biblical understanding of reality and biblical values. So Paul is saying, don't let the world conform you and influence you into its image. The world, our flesh, and the devil, they all stand in opposition to our sanctification. And ladies, lies are lies no matter where they come from. And they come from everywhere, don't they? 
In your study this week, you were given the Greek word metamorpho, in which this word means to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. And Paul uses this metaphor of transformation to describe the discipleship process. Now that you've been set free from sin, remember Romans 6.14, you no longer need to conform to the patterns of this world. You now have a choice. Our former slavery to sin has affected every part of us. And you've heard that word brainwashed. Well, you could say we were brainwashed by sin. So as we're waiting for our complete redemption, because remember, we have inner man, outer man, We are now undergoing that transformational process called sanctification, and it's through discipleship. And discipleship is not simply changing behavior or learning with a few Bible studies. No, discipleship requires a complete cognitive makeover. So how does that work? Well, as believers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we offer ourselves up to God as a living sacrifice, it is only the Holy Spirit who can renew our minds and catalyze that complete transformation in us. He will both deconstruct our wrong ways of thinking and construct new correct patterns of thought. So let's talk about thought life for a minute. Did you know that you can dissect a thought? Have you ever thought about that? Why does the mind need to be renewed? If you look around, you can see Many believers who are defeated on a day-to-day basis in their thought life. Many people in the church are walking around suffering with depression and anxiety, addictions, worry, fear, bitterness, and anger issues. And more and more Christians are committing suicide. Why is this happening to God's people? Well, God in his wisdom knew in this fallen world that people would take on beliefs and attitudes that would need to be renewed. Two of the most important things about you are, one, your view of God, and two, your view of yourself. If either of these mindsets are distorted, biblically speaking, then your thought life and ultimately your beliefs and your attitudes will be distorted as well. So what is an attitude and how is it formed? Neuroscientist Caroline Leaf explains it this way, and I quote, An attitude is a cluster of thoughts with emotional flavor. And every type of emotion has one of two roots, love or fear. 
Okay? So how do these attitudes get a love or a fear flavor? Well, the answer is through our thinking, our feeling, and our choosing. The Bible and secular research shows where wrong thinking, feeling, and choosing can lead. So our minds over time become established with ideas and opinions and prejudices and convictions that we believe about the world, about people, about material things, about activities, and ultimately about God and ourselves. These thoughts, they become formed by our family life, our education, what we read, what we watch, or by our religious experience or our lack of it. And these thoughts can also be formed by our sinful nature, our desires, our lusts, and our flesh. And if we're not careful, the combination of these thoughts and attitudes will develop into false mindsets which can produce negative habits and attitudes, which in turn produce what the Bible calls strongholds. Biblical counselor Rick Thomas defines a stronghold as this, and I quote, a mental argument you believe that contradicts the person and the power of Christ. A stronghold is a thought fortress of arguments designed to take your mind captive and hold you prisoner. These fortresses are designed to negate the person of Christ and his power or the gospel in your life. So as believers, How do we intentionally and purposefully counteract these lies? First of all, I want to give you a real-life example of what I'm talking about. So I was talking with a friend who's believed some lies, haven't we all? And we were talking about her daughter. And she was explaining to me how she enforces in her daughter how much God loves her and how valuable that she is, how much God has a plan for her life. And then this friend knows this to be true about her daughter, but then she looked right at me and she said, but yet I don't believe that about myself. No, no. Strongholds, attitudes, habitual ways of thinking are serious business, ladies. They are. But God, in his mercy and his grace, gave us the antidote, didn't he? God has given us his word, his spirit, And his mind, these are the things that God uses to transform our minds. And I will say this again, this is not a behavior modification thing. This is a work of the Holy Spirit as we yield 
our life to him and let him lead us and guide us like the song we were singing about earlier. But we do have some responsibility to show up and participate in this renewing of the mind process. So practically, how do we do that? My favorite thing to say, anyone who knows me well, is to think about what you're thinking about. Think of it as dissecting your thoughts. First of all, you have to ask yourself, why am I thinking this way? Why do I always respond this way? What am I believing that is causing me to be stuck? Make a list of lies or even make a list of your thoughts and then measure them up against God's word to determine if they are truth or lies. I didn't bring it with me, but I have the little four by six cards that are tied together and I have lies Lies, 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 and next to them I have God's word, God's word, God's word. And over time, I was just to able, God renewed my mind. So just a little caveat here, it's God's word. It's God's word that exposes the lies. It's through his word where the transformation happens. By God's spirit, in his word, when you show up, it is not going to happen any other way. And because it is not humanly possible to trust God perfectly, ladies, we need to believe and re-believe over and over again. It is God's word that exposes the thoughts the memories, and the lies that are stored in our minds. So 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We must daily guard our hearts. And I really, really, really want you to hear this. We must daily guard our hearts in the context of a community of believers who will encourage and challenge us in our faith and in our thought life. If you, if I, don't have this kind of community, fear will begin to rule our hearts. It will. Just ask anyone who's isolated themselves from community. So as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we are in the word of God, as we let him do that transforming work in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, guess what happens? 1 Corinthians 2.16 happens. We are given his mind. And guess what else? We grow. We change In relationship with him and in relationship with community, we love more and we fear less. We become, from this side of our PowerPoint, progressively to this side. 
And it's a lifetime process. This happens in our inner person. And this happens through discipleship. The battle for our minds can only be won as we personally choose truth. Don't you want that? I know I do. This transformation, it leads us to prove, not to God, not to other people, but to ourselves, what the scripture says, what God's good and perfect will is for our lives personally. He wants you to know what that is. He wants you to know the purpose for which you were born. And so this propels us into our next portion of scripture. And I'm going to read verse 3. Verse 3, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has apportioned to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. And I just have one word for you. Enthusiasm. Ladies, God has purpose for your life. Be enthusiastic about it. It's a gift. It's a calling. It's from him. I need you to, to, to fulfill God's purpose for you so I can learn and grow from you. And you need me to live out my purpose so you can learn and grow from me. This is how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. We need one another. We need one another to live out the purposes for which God made us. And it is as our minds are transformed and our wills are yielded to God's will that we begin to realize our purpose. God has given each one of us a purpose, but we can easily, easily become distracted when we begin to compare our purpose and the gifting to those of others. Comparison can cause us to think more highly of ourselves, but actually, I think it's safe to say that it causes us to think more lowly of ourselves than we should. Ladies, we all have something important to offer in the body of Christ. We need one another to fulfill our unique purpose. And we have all seen the movie Cinderella, so don't try to fit your foot in somebody else's glass slipper. Don't do it. It doesn't work and it's not helpful. God has a glass slipper sized just for you to walk out your purpose. 
And verse 5 says, You who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts of one another, mutually dependent upon each other. We want to be a church that is healthy in our view of spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities to serve. The Greek word for spiritual gift is the word charisma. It's a form of the word grace. So these special abilities are privileges that God graciously enables all believers to serve in spiritual ministry. And this is an important aspect that I want you to know. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talent. God may often give spiritual gifts that make use of natural talent, but I want you to know the difference. You are born with a talent. So how do we get spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is given to you by the Holy Spirit when you trust Jesus as your Savior. This is when you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and when you became part of the body of Christ. So who gets these gifts? Again, God graciously enables all believers to serve in spiritual ministry. Each believer has at least one, but perhaps several gifts. The Spirit gives gifts to the members of the church. Why? So that each one may function in the church according to their gift. Why? So that the church may be built up into spiritual maturity. Why? For the testimony of Jesus Christ on the earth until we all come to that measure of the fullness of Christ, manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in unity. Ephesians 4.13. That's it. That's the purpose. That's why he gave us gifts. We must be willing, obedient, and intentional in putting our gifts to use. No one benefits if we don't use them. We must be diligent to become effective in using our gifts. Our spiritual gifts don't benefit others automatically. And what I mean by that is that if we don't exercise them, they're not going to benefit others. We should exercise our gifts. We all know what it means to exercise, right? It's important that we use our gifts with a proper attitude and at appropriate times and places. Otherwise, they can be worthless or even harmful to God's purposes. So you might ask, well, how do I discover and use my spiritual gift? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because remember, every single believer has been given a spiritual gift. And these gifts are crucial 
to the ongoing function of the church. If you're interested in serving at Calvary Chapel Vista, you can contact the office. They can connect you with a ministry, a contact person. If you're not already involved in a ministry, please pray that God would inspire you, not guilt trip you, inspire you to step out in faith in one of these areas of service. So in discovering your gifts, I have a couple of points for you. Practical points. So number one, we should first of all concentrate on meeting the needs in the body rather than trying to pinpoint our gifts. So maybe your sensitivity to what seems to be lacking or where there is a need in the church would be a good place to start. And this can begin to expose your unused gifts. Number two, we should allow the advice of other mature Christians to guide us in areas of service for which we are suited and away from areas which we are not. It's good to have mentors and have them lead and guide you. Sometimes other people will recognize your gifts before you even recognize your gifts. So let people in. Remember, discipleship in community. Number three, we should not use our spiritual gifts as an exercise to avoid certain ministries. We as Christians are universally told to do some types of ministry. We all have a responsibility to show mercy, to evangelize, to exhort one another, and to give. But there are those who have the spiritual gift of mercy, evangelist, exhortation, giving. Make sense? God desires that we exercise our gifts with an attitude of thankfulness, humbleness, and love for one another. And this is a good place to shift into the last part of Romans 12. The remainder of chapter 12 explains how love should manifest itself in our relationships. And this covers an area which is twofold. Love within the church and love outside of the church. And I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this because it's a lot. So I'm going to be starting in verse 9. Love is to be sincere and active. It's supposed to be the real thing without guile. Without hypocrisy, ladies, motivation is everything. We are told to hate what is evil, detest all ungodliness, do not tolerate wickedness, hold on tightly to what is good. We're told in these verses to be devoted to one another, verse 10, to be aglow in the spirit. And here is our word, enthusiastically serving the Lord, verse 11. 
We are exhorted to constantly rejoice in hope because of our confidence in Christ, to be steadfast and patient in distress, devoted to prayer. We are called to bless those who persecute us, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We are exhorted to live in harmony, befriend humble people, and not to overestimate ourselves. We are to have a realistic self-view. We're exhorted not to repay anyone evil for evil, and we are to take thought for what is right. Ladies, think about what you're thinking about. Verse 18, we are to live at peace with everyone. And here's the key, as much as it depends on us. Verse 19, we are not to avenge ourselves because vengeance is the Lord's. We are exhorted to feed our enemy and give him a drink if needed. We are told by Paul to not be overcome and conquered by evil, but to overcome evil with good. If we're conformed to the world, we're not going to think and behave this way. We're going to behave like the world when it comes to our relationships with one another and our society. We're going to love those who love us. We're going to hate those who hate us. If someone hurts us, we're going to hurt them back. We're not going to feed our enemy or give them a drink. We're going to further their suffering. But it's the renewed mind and the transformed existence as we yield to the Holy Spirit through discipleship that Paul describes in verse 1 and 2, that reveals itself in love, a love that is heartfelt, rather than a fake motivation in helping those in and out of the body of Christ. And I have to admit, I am not very good at this. These are hard words that Paul is speaking to us. But this love that God expects us to show to others, it arises from God's transforming work within us. It's not an outward coercion. This is a free choice, acting from a transformed mind. This is the fruit of a new way of thinking with an inner enthusiasm and a desire to do God's will, even when doing so is costly and runs against the current of our feelings. We are called in verse 2 to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So does anyone know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is? So Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was a preacher, and he led a church seminary in Finkenwald, Germany. And this is a quote from a sermon that he preached on Romans 12, 16 through 21, a few months after he had been arrested by the Gestapo and interrogated for seven hours. And he said this, and I quote, It is a difficult sacrifice which Christ demands of us. 
when he demands that we abandon our attempts at vengeance. Perhaps it is the most difficult sacrifice of all, for it is entirely natural for humans to seek vengeance against their enemies. Close quote. These are hard words, ladies, and I I just want to back up for a second. When Paul speaks of blessing our persecutors and living at peace with everyone, he is not implying that we should submit to sin or abuse to keep the peace at all costs. When Paul uses the words, if it is possible, he is implying that the peace we seek with others may not be possible. I get to hear a lot of women's stories, and this verse about keeping the peace can be so taken out of context. And women can remain in suffering and abusive situations because they think they need to keep the peace at all costs, even the cost of abuse. This is not what Paul is saying. Please hear that. If you need more explanation or you think you're in an abusive situation, I encourage you to seek out leadership here for help. But what Paul is saying is that God sees everything God did not seek retribution against us when we were his enemies. He made peace with us. So we are to make peace as much as we can and leave judgment and vengeance to God. So just in wrapping up, I'm going to use a computer analogy to kind of close this out. So when you were born again, God downloaded new software into your being. And just like your computer software, you don't do any of the work for the download, right? You just watch it happen. But you are required to learn how it works. And the user's manual for how it works is right here in my hand. It is the word of God. This is the user's manual to a transformed life, to a changed mindset through discipleship, in community, to an enthusiastic, abundant serving him for the purpose he created you for. You will not find this in the world. You will not find this in another human. You will not find this on social media. You will not find it in a substance or in the material. It is here in the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, within a community of believers that God has placed around you to love you, to mentor you, to help you in your affliction, to help you grow through discipleship, to become the woman God has created you to be. So let's set aside just for now all those relationship books on our shelves 
and let's pick up the one relationship book and enthusiastically learn by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to renew your mind so you can know for yourselves what that good, that acceptable, and that perfect will of God is. Amen? Lord, I just pray that these words spoken today would just penetrate our hearts by your Holy Spirit. You do the transforming work, Lord. I pray that we would become more and more like you, that we would have your mind more and more in our inner person, and that we would love one another more and more and support one another more and more. And use our gifts that you have supplied us with to love and to um, build up and to encourage and to exhort one another. We love you. It's all for you. It's all about you. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.